All right. It's Monday, November 16, 2020. I'm Steven Sersky. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, no doubt I'm forgetting something here. Oh, well, we'll figure it out as we go along, I guess. Monday, November 16th, 2020. I'm Steven Sersky. Thank you very much for joining me. This coronavirus lockdown has put us all into a situation where uh, we usually have to find, we had to find something to do on our own, basically. Uh, and a lot of people, if you look at Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram especially, uh, you're going to find all, uh, any number of people who are working out and getting in shape and everything. Um, I was interested in talking to someone who maybe hadn't started this year, but who had been doing this for a while, and lo and behold, a, uh, someone did get in touch with me. Lubov uh, Lomonosova uh, got in touch through a, a mutual friend, and uh, she was interested in talking about uh, running and how she sort of went from someone who hadn't really thought much about running into someone who's now running marathons, half marathons, full marathons, and the whole gamut. Uh, so today she's going to be my guest and we're going to be talking about all sorts of things related to running, uh, getting in shape, uh, dropping weight, uh, maybe some dietitian and nutrition uh, um, uh, information as well. So she is a running coach, uh, certified running coach, certified personal trainer, and a, uh, a certified uh, performance enhancement specialist. She has a website. I'll post this uh, uh, link on the webs uh, on my show notes as well. So that's lumanosavi.com, and also you can follow her on Instagram as well. But with that, let's get to the interview because uh, it's going to be interesting to talk to someone who has gone from basically zero miles an hour to I think it's six point nine eight miles an hour. So we'll see how this one goes. Test, test, test. There we go. Is it working? It works. Uh, hi can you hear me yeah. i can't hear yes, you I do. you can't audio is my audio your audio check your audio let's see okay i'm gonna check audio not mute do a microphone test see if you can uh yeah i did test it i know why let me there we go i got two sets of headphones going that's why perfect okay so there we go that should work better can you hear me now Yes, I can. Fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Well, good. Well, uh, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you too. And so you are what in mountain time? So it's what six thirty or seven thirty? Six thirty p.m. Right. Six thirty p.m. Okay. So uh, you, you, dinner time. Are you having dinner right now, or do you finish that already? Uh, I already had it. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's uh, it's nine thirty right now, so I'm basically I don't work today. Uh, I have a job where I can tick and untick my work schedule, so it's very flexible. Um, so luckily Monday morning I'm free, uh, but it also means that a lot of people are moving around in the building. So I have uh, like the elevators and everything is it's all clanging around in the background. But yeah, anyway, so yeah, uh, international broadcast. Uh, yeah, I was explaining to you that uh, in the email that uh, the the connection is can be shoddy at night and so it's uh, I, I stopped doing a zoom calls at night it's just not possible because i think what it is there, there's like two wires that go into the compound and so if everybody is at home and everybody is trying to access the internet i think it just overburdens the system and you can't connect very well so i'm like you know what we'll just schedule these things for the morning now it makes more sense that way uh well anyway. cool i'm very <laughs> I'm very excited to to talk to you because you seems also a very interesting person. 
like traveling oh. all over the world. Uh, I, I guess a little bit, yes. So we actually, we haven't met, but we know a mutual friend, Olga. Uh, Olga Karavka, yes. right? Um, yes. Now, she's from Kazakhstan. Are you also from Kazakhstan? No, I am from Ukraine. <gasps> and, Ukraine. Здравствуйте. Привет. Здравствуйте. Yeah, I've heard you are from Winnipeg. Yes. <laughs> uh, Winnipeg. Uh, no, but... no. Which uh, which city are you from in Ukraine? Uh, so uh, before moving to US, I lived in uh, Kiev for like about 10 years or so. So right. after I finished university, I lived in Kiev and then we moved to Texas and now to Colorado. Kiev to Texas. How was that transition? Was uh, that rough? <laughs> I mean, uh, when we moved to Austin, we didn't know much about Texas at all. I mean, like people were asking if uh, there are cowboys walking and uh, horses <laughs> and all that stuff. I mean, I, we didn't think about that, but you could see like in a downtown sometimes, probably for fun, some uh, policemen on the horses, but right. usually just probably kind of like for fun but Austin has a really amazing and cool vibe it's a nice city people are very um, uh, very kind and nice and uh, uh, it's a great community with a it's gonna like uh, keep Austin weird it's kind of like everyone is different and uh, everyone is accepted for their difference which is right. kind of cool uh, it's pretty warm, so we were happy about having, uh, you know, all the all year long, kind of like uh, fall and spring and summer, but no winter, basically. Yep. <laughs> was fun. But that's uh, a stark contrast from a place like Kiev or even Winnipeg, where you know it's winter. There's there's four definite seasons, and winter makes itself known very well. It's a loud season, in other words. Um, but uh, so you moved to Texas now, th those horses, but those are policemen on horses, right? Right. I mean, I mean, that would actually, I think New York still has them as well. They still have horseback that you don't see that in Canada and, and certainly not in Ukraine as well, do you? I mean, there's no mounted yeah, no. police. <laughs> horses no. are farm animals. That's that's where they belong. Yeah. Also, uh, Texas known uh, an Austin area for having longhorns. Those like cows with big like huge like a uh, couple meters uh, horns and they yep. look amazing they kind of cool <laughs> so why you did you see them a lot why did you move away from austin uh so um really uh, we just were getting married with my husband uh back in 2014 right and uh something started going on politically in the u.s uh, oh I, I mean in ukraine and then uh, also like we were thinking about uh, trying different uh, different places to live uh, while we kind of young. And uh, so my husband is a software engineer and uh, he had uh, ideas of opportunities he, would, he could pursue. So um, uh, we started looking into uh, his job offers in um, Europe, uh, but he always dreamed about uh, moving, not moving, to work in U.S. probably. And uh, he kind of um, got a job offer from uh, Booking.com in oh, wow. Amsterdam. And then when he came back uh, to his boss and 
to tell him that he's he got a job offer and he probably leaving uh, his job and uh, they were like oh no uh, what we can do so you could stay with us and he was like oh i don't know if you could do much um unless i could move to us somehow <laughs> and uh, that was like a big companies uh, consulting and they did have like offices in us so they basically moved him uh, there for potential opportunity um, because it was one of the project there. So when we, uh, I left my job in uh, Ukraine, I worked as HR, I had an office job and uh, uh, I kind of moved with his, in his business trip. Uh, I kind of like left my job and we just went to try and see if there is like any opportunity for him. And then the project he started working at, it was going well and they wanted to hire him. So then, meanwhile, this press process was going on. Um, he uh, got a job offer and uh, we started working on visas and then we moved to Austin. Um, and that was, that was interesting experience. Kind of, we had to start everything uh, from the beginning. Was it very difficult to get a, a visa for the United States? So uh, it was not super complicated for us just because uh, because of he, it was the uh, work visa. Oh, so, so you were sponsored. So, he was sponsored. Yes. So basically he's a key of office and the American office. They were working on that together. Uh, so we didn't do much just right. oh, okay. by providing documents oh, perfect. and uh, i was as a wife <laughs> right oh so you, <laughs> yeah. you, you're on the spousal visa which is the best kind i mean you just want to show up basically that, that's uh yeah that's good uh how long did it take from like the point that he said well you know if you moved me to the states uh you know i'd still work for you was it like six months eight months so uh he told that he uh about his job offer from amsterdam probably somewhere in june 2000 14 and uh, on August 9 we already were in uh, Austin. Two months, three months. Yeah, yeah. But then initially it was kind of <laughs> like a, a business, like a business trip, right? Which uh, came into a, like long term uh, and transition to the visa. Right. Oh, so you changed the visa once you were in country, basically. Yeah, we had we had to, to uh, come to Ukraine a couple times. Uh, yeah, okay. to get to the embassy and then uh, from january he started officially uh working there you couldn't go to the embassy in in like washington or or even austin doesn't austin have a ukrainian embassy no uh it's in washington that we would have to go to but uh we had to go to ukraine since we were on the uh his business visa oh, so okay. i guess it was just legally that way yeah, it's the like dumbest it thing right. in the world to do that. For China, to get into China, it is when, when they hire us, they basically say it's six months uh, uh, to, from first acceptance of the job offer to processing to landing in Beijing. Basically, it's six months. It, it can't be any... I don't know if it can be shorter, but and I'm not sure if it's maybe the same way in Ukraine, but they have a lot of paperwork, like actual paperwork that someone needs to take the red stamp, chop it, put the paper through, and, be like, and then they have to photocopy it. Then they have to make the three, like the carbon copy. And you're going, 
could you not digitize this? I mean, you've got AI and, you know, QR codes all over the place, but we're still doing this by uh, paper processing. Oh, it's just that, yeah, it takes forever. It takes forever to apply for a Chinese visa. Um, oh, what, I can't even imagine. Was the United States the only option? You said that also Europe. I mean, wouldn't it have been easier to stay in Europe? I mean, and then you'd be closer to Ukrainian family and whatnot. Uh, yeah, so I actually kind of wanted to live in Europe. And I was thinking the way you think, like closer to the family and to the friends. But uh, his dream, my husband's dream, it was to go to U.S., Right. And also, like, uh, when we started, like, researching, like, the salaries and the taxes and the benefits, and it looked like U.S. was um, had a, so much better um, opportunities than uh, Europe, wow. like, salary-wise and the taxes, because, like, in Europe are pretty high taxes, and uh, Texas is known for not having uh, income tax. Right. So there is a federal federal tax, but there is a now income income tax. So and um, so, for example, in California, there are super high um, taxes, but in uh, Texas, you wouldn't pay much, which was really? like very beneficial. Like you are having more actual money after uh, paying all the taxes, and um, yeah, and it was a little bit tough for me at first because it was not <laughs> what I like really wanted because I really honestly dreamed about living in Amsterdam. But right. after <laughs> moving here to us uh, right now, I can tell that this was a right choice. I just didn't know about that back then. What was the draw to Amsterdam for you? So uh, I used to, I had a history like working in Turkey in uh what you worked in turkey as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah in 2008 i believe i worked uh, in the hotel in sports uh, animation entertainment team okay Uh, so uh, i had many friends from amsterdam and uh i mean from holland and my roommate was from holland and uh i found like dutch people are very fun and and interesting and uh, i don't know felt close to them so I was curious just to to live there for some time and discover like new culture and um, just like that. It was so, so hearing about it, right? No, but that's a that's a good reason. So then you were in. Had you gone to Amsterdam before uh, you'd have like before your husband got a job there, or um, had you just you just heard about it and you're like, sounds like a good place to go. So we went uh, together when he went for his uh, job interview. And that was my first time visiting uh, Amsterdam. And it seemed so fun, Uh, like a little bit crazy, like all that vibe. Uh, But it seemed so fun. And uh, yeah, I I probably dreamed about living in a different country ever since I was little. It just, I didn't (laughs) think it was possible. Uh, can can I say that that is that could be the Ukrainian dream to leave and live in a different country? Uh, it's, I've met so many Ukrainians who've become expats, uh, and when I was like I was in Ukraine, uh, I was in Kharkov, um, and a lot of my students at that time were basically all of them were talking about leaving um, if they could, I, mostly to Europe, uh, Germany because that was closer, and um, I think Volkswagen was hiring at that time. Uh, but it seems, and then Canada is just full of Ukrainian expats 
which I guess we call them uh, the diasporas, uh, diaspora, right? The, it's the Ukrainian diaspora, right. the, the the descendants and the people who uh, who left the home country, sort of thing. But there's there's still a very proud uh, Ukrainian tradition uh, in Canada and the United States too. Um, I'm surprised. This is I thought Texas sort of had a Ukrainian community, a large one. Uh, Colorado, I'm not sure about if they have a Ukrainian community uh, at all. Uh. Yeah, I mean, Austin, Austin doesn't uh, doesn't have like very big Ukrainian community, but Dallas and uh, Houston, they have big ones right. uh, because Austin is like smaller town, uh, smaller city by itself. Mm -hmm. It's just like one about one million with all the cities around, and uh, Dallas and Houston they are like very huge cities so that's definitely a bigger community and when we move to Colorado we think here is is like way bigger community of Ukrainians and Russians um, than in Austin because uh, to be honest I haven't heard the Ukrainian speaking people much in uh, Austin <laughs> as uh, much as here in Colorado and I was surprised that like coming into different stores and different places people were asking me like and my husband uh are you ukrainian so usually you would get asked like are you uh, russian are you or russian, yeah. are you french are you german uh, and here's like okay. they know like for sure you're ukrainian so probably here's like lots of ukrainians that's why they know it wow that's 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 interesting i've never yeah whenever i travel it's usually the first question you i get asked if i'm russian uh, usually because of my face and my nose uh and i'm like no i'm i'm just white and i'm canadian but i have ukrainian lineage so uh but yeah in, in canada i mean they do it's uh when you say that there's a ukrainian community in colorado are they speaking like ukrainian ukrainian or are they speaking the diaspora ukrainian which is sort of it's like 60 years ago in some in some sense because modern ukrainian has changed so much from the textbooks that we studied in back in in school days uh would be like learning in, in, uh, ukrainian in canada and i imagine that's the same for the united states as well so are, are they actually speaking modern ukrainian in colorado well i uh, people who we the language who we heard uh, they were speaking like real ukrainian right, like okay. not even not not like russian not like mixed ukrainian it was like clean ukrainian well okay. maybe not clean ukrainian but i mean like the one that like people spill speak really ukrainian probably like some somewhere like leave like um this uh what uh what is it west part of ukraine yeah, yeah. uh so probably not the central part of ukraine right which See, is very of... interesting what's yeah. the big difference uh well in different parts of ukraine people speak different ukrainian it's kind of like probably like in us people would in different states they would have some differences but also in ukraine there is a very common thing that people would speak uh what's called surzik yes uh, it's a mixed uh, russian and ukrainian it's kind of like if you don't remember a ukrainian word you would just say it ukrainian way but russian word kind of <laughs> like that <clears throat> yeah yeah <laughs> But they don't do that so, in Lviv. In Lviv, they, they stay strictly Ukrainian, or at least mostly uh, strictly Ukrainian. You, if you drop so a Russian it, word in Lviv, they're kind of like, they're, they purr off a little bit more. Well, in Lviv, they would use more Polish into Ukraine. Yes. Into right. Ukrainian. So uh, they can't speak like Ukrainian, 
Mm-hmm. But between each other, they will not speak like that Ukrainian that they would use with other Ukrainians. Right. So, and if they will start speaking with between each other, like I probably wouldn't get all of it. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah, so, because there sense... will be lots of like Polish words. Yeah, but I, I've always, uh, when people ask me the big difference between those major three languages, like Polish, Ukrainian, and Russian, basically, I, I explain it that a Russian... Russians and Ukrainians can speak to each other. Ukrainians and Polish can speak to each other, but Polish and Russians would have difficulty speaking to each other. So they'd need a Ukrainian to sort of do some um, translation work for them, especially when it comes to reading. And like if someone were to read what the Polish people have written or the Russian people have written, because they use different alphabets. um, And I don't know, that that seems to... uh, is, is am I wrong? Maybe I'm wrong on this. I mean, would you need a Ukrainian translator between a Russian guy and a Polish guy? So uh, I would think that Ukrainian would be more unique people towards like understanding either Polish or Russian, just because mm-hmm. uh, like most of the people would like see on TV like uh, Russian speaking things. Uh, some people still, uh, I mean, like, for example, my generation of people, they were uh, learning Russian at school. I was Russian. I was I was uh, going to Russian school, Russian speaking school, which was like yeah. kind of an exception. Uh, but most of people like understand Russian, not just because uh, they know Ukrainian, but because they hear it more. But Russian people probably would less likely understand all, all the words in Ukrainian because they don't learn Ukrainian. They don't learn the language. So, right. But also maybe they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like, for example, what I, when I worked in Turkey and I met people from different uh, Slavic countries, um, speaking people, um, I was uh, catching up some things. Like, even though they have, like, different language, like Slovenian or, like, from Bulgaria or somewhere else, like, yeah. you would get some little things because right. some words are similar. But also, like, uh, you are probably right that Ukrainian language definitely closer to Polish than Russian. Right. No, no, you're, you're, you're right, though, that uh, the Ukrainians have studied probably more languages out of necessity than... Uh, like Russians would have had to because for Russians I mean they either speak English uh, well they speak German as well and then French they had a proud French um, like uh, who is uh, well Stalin and uh, Lenin they all went to Paris didn't they they studied French for a while so there was like Russian draws a lot from the French language whereas Ukrainian I mean and Russian share a lot of uh, similarities in that t- in that sense in the terms of vocabulary and whatnot one thing I've always uh, when people say that I, I or ask me about my Ukrainian or even my very terrible Russian, they're always put off by the language. But one of the greatest things that I I have appreciated about the Cyrillic alphabet is the transliteration of English words into the uh, language, into Ukrainian or Russian, because you just just read it naturally. Instead of like here in Chinese, they, they change the word completely. They have a different character, different sound, and you're going... This is this is base zero point for me. I got to learn everything again. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I read one of the uh, your blog posts about Chinese and uh, how you explain like several words, how you mix them, and oh. uh, they <laughs> they like have totally different uh, meaning. Yep, it, and I, I feel sorry for like I understand when a, um uh when because when I'm teaching English, 
and someone makes a mistake based on like a pronunciation, I go, yeah, no, I, I understand that thought process because to you, uh, or to that student, the the sound or the the letters combination is the same in their head, but the way that you pronounce it in English can be completely different. Uh, completely different. So, uh, it it's a challenge. I will say that learning Mandarin Chinese, it is probably no, it is the most difficult language I've learned. Uh, but that's mainly because when it comes to Russian or Ukrainian, I started that when I was very young. So I don't remember like all the conjugations and the declensions that go into the Slavic languages. I mean, I was exposed to that very early in life. So when people try to pick it up later on in life, they're, they're put off by that, that massive grammar database that you have to learn in Ukrainian and in Russian. How many languages do you speak? I speak one, and that is English. It is the only language that pays me money. It is the only language that I practice on a daily basis. I am studying Chinese, but it's terrible. And all the other languages I've studied, but I'm, I'm not very uh, proficient in any of them, very, very sadly. But you, you're proficient, you're fluent in what? Russian, Ukrainian, English, anything else? Uh, no, just a little bit from everywhere. Oh, <laughs> just, there you, you know, go. like, how are you and... Uh... In some languages, I can say. <laughs> yeah. Are you able to read any other languages as well? Or uh, is it just mostly speaking? So, I mean, uh, like reading in um, in getting sense, probably not. Okay. Uh, but like how to pronounce, yes. Okay. Uh, like, for example, I could read like what, uh, like I know how to pronounce things in like Turkish, uh, just because I know like I learned a little bit and uh, maybe in Spanish, but right. um, yeah, I don't speak uh, much those languages. So just Russian, Ukrainian and English. And uh, I'm trying to improve my English uh, by reading books only in English right now. And um, I started recently listening to audio books, which was a huge uh, kind of breakthrough for me because Initially, when I came to U.S., um, it was so hard for me, even though I knew English, I could speak yeah. with people English. It was different in the U.S. And also, it was hard to, like, get uh, to, to hear, like, what, what they are saying. And uh, also, like, at, in Europe, in Ukraine, we studied uh, British English. <laughs> so I had to relearn the pronunciation, yeah, like yeah. totally, and yeah, that's that. It took some time. I had to watch like uh, lots of TV shows with different accents just to pick it up. And at first, I couldn't like understand things, but then, and I got mad. Like I watch, I understand <laughs> words, but I can't put them together. Yeah. But now it's kind of like I'm more fluent after six years. <laughs> All right, so this this might help me because I'm having the same problem with Chinese uh, that I I can make myself known like clear like I can speak what I need, but as soon as someone says something to me, it's just like oh I don't know what you are saying. Like I understand there are words, I understand the concept that there, these are words that you're speaking, but I don't understand what you're saying. Like not I couldn't translate it directly. How long did it take you of watching? the TV, uh, TV shows and listening to the audiobooks that you, that you finally saw an improvement in your listening abilities? So uh, probably for this first half of the year, 
that I uh, we lived in a hotel initially okay. in Austin, uh, and uh, I was not allowed to have a job. So uh, it took like some time to get to that point. And uh, yeah, it's about like about probably half a year that half I watched like literally different uh, TV shows and movies that maybe I you I, I watched previously in the, with Russian and Ukrainian translation. So it's kind of probably when you see visually what they say in which cases, then you catch it up better. And at first I started doing it with subtitle, subtitles and yeah. I wouldn't get it without them. But right. right now I noticed that I don't care if I see subtitles, I just catch it up mostly. Like maybe if I will not get one word, I don't pay attention to that, but the general concept of everything, I get it. Yeah. Um, as for audiobooks, for some reason, that was like a really tough thing for me for a while. And uh, I started listening to audiobooks just pretty recently this year, like a yeah. few months ago. And uh, I, I, I was wondering that, okay, I understand it. There, the, the good thing about the English language and if someone's studying English is that there are a lot of audiobooks. When I was in Ukraine back in, it was 2011 that I was there, I was asking for audiobooks. Like I wanted Ukrainian audiobooks of modern Ukrainian and they're like, what's an audiobook? No idea. They didn't right. exist back then. They had some Russian ones uh, and then they had old Ukrainian like uh, Ivan Kotlyavsky, the guy who wrote the uh, mm -hmm. Inida. Um, yes. So I, so I have that, but I mean, they're looking at me studying this this uh, Ukrainian. They're going, that is Ukrainian from 200 years ago. <laughs> no one's going right. to understand you. <laughs> so uh, modern Ukrainian, like I had to basically had to watch the news to, to learn any sort of um, modern Ukrainian. And because uh, even in Kharkov, they were mostly speaking Russian. Um, right. The with Chinese now, they do have some audiobooks, but I don't know. They're not very interesting. It's not stuff that I'd really want to. I don't I don't care about it and their TV is terrible I'm not I, I, they're pretty honest about this too some of the TV shows are just like uh, soap opera it's all soap <laughs> operas uh, and it's all soap operas based on uh, ancient history so I mean if you don't know what's going on uh, like I like I wouldn't know the historical context of a lot of these TV shows you're just sitting there going, why is she crying again? Why is this guy, why are they able to fly in this episode? I mean, things like that where it's such a stretch that you're kind of like, I, I don't know if I'm, I won't get the, the details, but I could at least practice my listening uh, to some extent. And they subtitle everything here in China, which is great. I mean, every, all the TV shows, uh, they're all subtitled automatically. So you don't have to worry about not being able to read it uh, but then you have to be able to read chinese as well um yeah right uh which audiobooks are you uh listening to uh i really love uh self-development motivational books okay so uh yeah i currently listening to a book to a book called greet great okay uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, how was it greet uh g-r-i-t mm -hmm. i've heard it yep. so uh yeah it's uh, by angela uh, duckworth uh, she is psychologist and um, the book is about uh, like persistence, perseverance. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like how one can be uh, doing one thing like uh, during the lifetime and how dedicated person is and like how many times like after fa failing you will get up 
and do the same thing and whether you will reach or go your goal or you will give up give up and it's about like different um examples of like uh professional athletes or like uh, people in any other field it's very interesting just because um so i am a runner and i have kind of like big uh goals which uh, right now sounds kind of ridiculous to where i am but i still dream about them and okay. uh, um i'm working on uh, getting mentally stronger and also you know uh, we tend to lose our focus very often, like just getting off the course, uh, just because uh, we have surroundings, we have too much information, and it's so hard to filter and just go where you're going. So motivational and self-development books help me stay on track and not to get into this negative part and self-doubt part. Right. Okay, so I mean, has this been a big challenge for you? Because looking at your website, um, you you do uh, explain your sort of journey from uh, I think what I said before was z- uh, zero miles an hour to six point nine eight miles an hour. Is that is that right? So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I was never a runner like at all, and right. I hated running, and I basically. Um, discovered for myself running and fall in love with it which uh completely changed my my life and my mindset and Mm -hmm. uh i turned something that i hate into my passion and into my job so so wait a minute you hate you hated running or you hate running now and you still do it no i do love running i'm actually kind of like a run addict i would call myself Right. I, I can imagine my life without running, but then it's hard to believe because uh, just five years ago, I was not like uh, developed in any athletic way. Like mm-hmm. I was, uh, um, I was dealing with different kind of issues. I was uh, thinking about how do I lose weight after I started eating all that amazing food in US, and right. uh, how do I <laughs> get back to a normal sizes and. Uh, running was one of the things that I did out of being uh, desperate, just kind of like, okay. And also like, it was fun to try something that I really hated and I failed so many times. And I thought, okay, maybe if I will invest in a good pair of shoes. And also like my husband told me that um, I was doing everything wrong. I was just, you know, sprinting all the time instead of like jogging. Because at first you need to start jog and then get into the running and then when i discovered that i could run for 20 minutes that was like oh my god all my life i couldn't do that maybe i could do more and more and then when i hit my 40 minutes i was like hooked kind of like okay what if i can do those 40 minutes faster so i started training for like improving uh, um, like speed and then i got to the like longer distance and then that's way uh, somehow I get into the marathon, oh, wow. which was like completely like mind blowing for me. And I couldn't believe that I did it. And also like running kind of like opened for me a totally new universe, like uh, what I am capable of. And uh, it's kind of like I have superpower. It's like uh, people think that uh, you cannot do certain things, but then when you start doing them, like step by step, little by little, 
it's eventually you kind of can reach any goal you set. Did you, but you weren't running in Ukraine or in the other places that you've lived, have you? I mean, you, it was only once you got no. to Austin, basically. Right. Uh, after about a year living in Austin. Uh, so can can we interpret this metaphorically? You wanted to run away from something in Austin or what was it? You were running away from <laughs> home? I mean, is there some sort of philosophical debate here or something? Um, but is I guess in Ukraine, you just weren't in that sort of um, circle of people or maybe that just you hadn't been raised to go running or was there any sort of athleticism in your family before that? No, and actually, um, you, uh, so I had a really bad memories with running and just ever since uh, I started uh, going to school. So I was never good in uh, anything like longer than uh, 100 meters or 200 right. meters. Yeah. So sprinting was fine. It was not nothing uh, sophisticated and I was doing fine with sprinting. But then when they tell you like run one kilometer or like run two kilometers, I was walking just because like I, would, I was out of breath <laughs> yeah. and uh, with this metal taste in my mouth, side stitch, and I was hating it. And I felt myself like a loser because everyone could do it and I couldn't. And I was like, walking around like I was not good enough, you know, and uh, all my life I carried that, that I'm not good enough in running. And I tried to run probably at university, at, at college, and uh, it never worked out. So it, it never occurred to you just to start, like, get a pair of shoes and just walk faster or jog? I mean, you were always of the opinion that... Oh, okay. And it just didn't work out. You you couldn't do it. It didn't work out. It was the same thing. I was like, I was just doing it wrong. I was like going too fast. And then, of course, I was right now, I understand what was happening. But back then, I didn't know that I was like, just like using all my energy. And then I didn't have it anymore. And then right. I couldn't run, of course. And also my system was not ready because you need to work on it and develop it. And uh, yeah, in Ukraine, people would be more like, okay let's go have fun go to discotheque or like have a drink and uh, like drinking alcohol it's kind of like a was a big thing for me and for like many people in ukraine and uh yeah so right now i i don't drink alcohol and i don't smoke so that's oh. also like uh thankfully i, I have to be grateful to running <laughs> so running saved you from this yeah I'm in ukraine it's actually I, I do have to say, though, uh, when I was in Ukraine and I was teaching English, it was me who was drinking. It wasn't my students. My students were like, wow. no, we, no one drank vodka unless it was a special occasion. And I, I grew up thinking, like, you know, that's all Ukrainians drank. Um, but then they were like, yeah, we'll have a beer or maybe two every now and then but not very like no one was drinking all the time none of my students were it was it was me the english teacher who was like yeah let's go to the bar yeah yeah <laughs> so uh but that i mean actually you made this comment before about uh, people asking you about um the cowboys in texas yeah i one of my very first memories of meeting a ukrainian someone from ukraine was actually uh, my older brother's girlfriend at the time uh she was from harkov i think and when I first met her, um, I was asking her about Ukraine. And this is when I was a teenager. So in high school, I go, so wait a minute. Do they do they wear Ukrainian shirts all the time in Ukraine? Like the embroidery? Uh, um, what's the, the Ukrainian name for it? 
not uh, Sharavada, that's the other part. Vishavanka. Uh, Vishavanka. And so I'm like, yeah, do they just wear these embroidered shirts? And she's, she looks at me going, what? The, are you serious? Are you actually asking me this question? <laughs> no, we don't wear, we wear normal clothes. <laughs> Adidas, Nike, black shirts, they're fine. Yeah, so culture shock there. Oh, Stephen, you should know better. Um, okay, so what about the first pair of shoes? Because you said you bought a new pair of shoes and that got you running again in Austin. So what, what did you buy that was like, okay, I've spent the money, I'm going to commit now? So actually, uh, my husband started running first. And I was okay. like, okay, I'm not doing, I'm not doing that. But uh, he, when he started running, he just uh, started running in uh, the shoes that he had. And after a certain time, he started having knee pain. And then we started reading and like Googling information about what that can be. And one of the reason, one of the reasons can be like not a proper pair of running shoes. And then we found that it was a store in Austin that uh, you can come into, uh, they will put you in a treadmill, they will record how you run, and then they will recommend you a proper uh, pair of running shoes. And uh, so he got one pair for himself and he was like, okay, magic, my knee's not hurting <laughs> anymore. And uh, I was like, okay, so if I'm gonna start running, I'm gonna have to have a pair of shoes because I love new stuff. You know, girls like new <laughs> shoes. And uh, this is extra time when you can get a new pair of shoes. And then when you invest into $120 pair of running shoes, you gotta do something. It's kind of like you're committed a little bit more because yeah. uh, you don't wanna like put it into the waste so, uh, so the, that what was the uh, the store called the store called in uh, Austin, Texas? Uh, are they still was, around? Uh, yep, it was Texas Running Company, and after two years of running, I ended up working in that very store. Oh, there which you was go. <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> Why? Because you you just were there all the time, and people started asking you questions, or how did that one work? <laughs> uh, they had a um, running club over there, so it's mm -hmm. kind of like. Uh, once or twice a week, you would come and run with running group. And that was kind of like fun to socialize and meet some people. And uh, back then I was pretty new to running. And then uh, at certain point, uh, when I got uh, work permit and also I've been looking for a job for a while and I didn't have any luck. And right. then I gave it up uh, to look for that office job. And I started going to um community college and uh, learning english and then also uh i took certification for uh personal training and uh you know like i, I just saw the advertisement that they are hiring and mm. i was like um i was kind of like i don't believe they will hire me but it, it was checking just because uh, i kind of know those people that sounds fun and I wasn't preparing for that. I just stopped by and I was like, okay, I saw you have an advertisement that <laughs> you're hiring. And they're like, okay, we know you, you are hired. Oh, and there you like, go. That's, that's simple. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've been going to different interviews for like half a year and I couldn't get anywhere. And now you are hiring me just like that. And yeah, I ended up working two years in that very store. Wow, that's that's impressive. Fun. So, uh, but with that, I mean, because you said you're certified, 
it sounds like once you moved to the States, I mean, you really took this opportunity to sort of, I mean, just start doing things a lot more uh, like a healthy lifestyle of sorts. Was it your husband that got you going again? Or was this sort of the, the new environment or what else sort of pushed you to start doing this? So it was my journey of losing weight. Mm -hmm. And uh, once I got into fitness, it seemed kind of fun. And I thought that, uh, okay, I lost weight. I got into more healthy habits and uh, it helped me. It changed my mind. Uh, maybe I could help people reach their goals. And uh, then I thought, maybe I want to do that if I don't have luck in like office job, but also it was not something that I really enjoyed. And uh, my husband always asked me like, um, like what I want to do and I never had an answer for that. And that was something that kind of like keep me interested. And I was like, okay, maybe this is something that I want to do. And I have an opportunity to start over. Why don't I start over with this? That's a good idea. Yeah. Did you have the same knee problem that your husband had? No, I've been good. So no, uh, yeah, no I got, I got, to, yeah, I got to uh, right away proper running shoes. So basically, he didn't have initially running shoes. He just used some kind of sneakers right. that okay. I'm not sure were even for running. Uh, but having like proper running shoes is very important, and uh, also they don't last forever. So every three five hundred miles, you have to change them, or like every. Oh. Six really? to eight months. Yeah. Oh, okay. But six to eight months Either is way, based on how much you're running, though, because I, I mean, I haven't run 500 miles in my shoes just yet. Right. Right. Probably like uh, over a year, you wouldn't want to have one shoe if you're like running from time to time. Mm -hmm. I um, just because it's something gets uh, happens with the material, they're not as good, so it's kind of like happens something to it. I but, yeah, I understand because like the 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 foam starts to get compressed and then it gets right. distorted uh, because of all the sweat and the pressure. And so it's, you're not landing evenly anymore. Uh, right. So then with that, do you run on your toes or do you run on the, uh, on your heel? I ride on my meat food because uh, it is, uh, I wouldn't say it is one or another way is uh, correct. And also like every human body is different, but generally like I'm a long distance runner. Oh, it's yeah. like more recommended to be landing on meat food, but there are, it is also like different parts of meat food and people mm -hmm. may call it like more on the toes, like on the forefront or towards the heel. So I'm landing probably closer to the heel, but it okay. is not heel. So the main point is that you would land under the hip of your body so yeah. it wouldn't go way in front of you. That would be heel striking, which is not good and bad for your knees and everything. Uh, but for example, if we will talk about um, sprinters, they would be running on their toes just because it is not much time for this ground contact uh, while their sprinting is like super fast. And uh, those people wouldn't run the distances that we run like right. I was wondering, have you uh, read Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins? Yes, I listened to it and I loved it. 
I after I read that book, I uh, literally started cleaning my toilet harder. It was that motivational. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that stay hard. I'm gonna clean. The, uh, this is gonna be the best toilet cleaning ever. Um, but I was sort of wondering because you do marathons. I don't. I've never run a marathon in my life. I don't have the interest in. Uh, it mostly there's two reasons. Well, there's one major reason: the time it takes. I. To run for three hours, I mean, I don't do anything for three hours other than work. And even that, I will be fully honest, my brain isn't always on at work. But for three hours of running, I don't know if it'd be possible for me to be mentally prepared to do it. But also, running for that long physically, I know I'm, I would not go do a marathon now. I just could not do it. Uh, I do 20 minutes, 25 minutes, uh, and I run mostly on the the, the tip of my toe, not the tip of my toes, but I guess more towards the front of the midfoot, like you were talking about. Um, and that's, that's enough for me for in terms of running. Now I have other things I do work out as well. Uh, but for you, I mean, how do you pace yourself for your, your marathons, uh, not just physically with your, 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 your feet, but then three hours of running? How do you do that? Well, if we will talk <laughs> about three hours of running, this is already pretty competitive. So people who run marathons, they probably like if you will finish marathon in four hours for their first marathon, that would be considered very good. But there are lots of marathoners who finish like in five hours or six hours. That's I cannot imagine doing. And this is like a lot of stress on your body. But um, so when I trained for my very first marathon, which I finished in four hours, four minutes, the marathon itself, it's kind of like, it is not hard only physically, it is hard uh, mentally. And while you are training uh, and increasing your distance, uh, it's kind of like your mental work as well, like Mm -hmm. time on your feet. And uh, for me, it just, uh, you know, one more mile, one more mile, here's a little bit more. And then uh, once you start running more, like for example, I got, interested in like how do i breathe like what do i see how do i feel how do i pace myself so my mind is basically all the time occupied with a calculating something or thinking about something (laughs) but also like when you like doing all those like long runs after accomplishing something big like that you have this uh, feeling of huge accomplishment and you feel really good which calls like this um like runners high or something, you right. know, when you like run slowly and, and for a long time, then you feel good about it. And uh, like, if we were going to talk about that marathon itself, so it would be like um, keeping my mind busy with the mental cues, like uh, you got this, you are strong, uh, just a little bit, you've done it before, just battling your um, your own thoughts about like, doubts like you don't you can't let them come you try to memorize your plan what it was initially like stick to your like look at your watch see how you pacing are you not going too fast because if you will burn energy too fast you will not be able either to finish it at all or you will slow down a lot because um, the energy is changing and then your body getting tired like some of the systems shut off and then basically all the blood goes into your legs and, uh, <laughs> and go and out from your brain and you're not uh, thinking anymore yeah it's it's mentally hard thing but 
once you finish it, it's it makes you feeling so amazing. Like, oh my God, I did something really cool. And then it opens up like, okay, maybe I can do something else bigger. So, okay, so you're running the marathons. Running. Now, is that 25, that's 25 or 26.2 miles, right? For the marathon? Right, right. So yep. when you say that you're training, are you running like practice marathons all the time or are you running shorter distances? So usually in general, people wouldn't get uh, more than 18, uh, 22 miles during the training. And that would occur probably once or twice because it's a big, a big load uh, on your body and you want to be fresh uh, on the race day. So, um, yeah. So for example, first time marathoners, depending on their time, may hit just 16 miles or 18 miles and that would be enough uh, to be sure that you will be able to run a full marathon. It just uh, before marathon, you would have a, what's called taper, which is uh, uh, at first you were building up the mileage during like each week and then you will cut down it to like really like 30% of your volume on the race week. Mm-hmm. And then because of this um, build up of the uh, easier load you will be able to do a superpower on the race day and usually uh you you are you can run way faster than you ran during training well yeah is that the is that sort of the pressure or like the um enthusiasm of being part of the race that sort of pushes you to run faster during the actual race itself or is it just because you're like okay it's now go time this is what i prepared for so uh, initially, you would think about what is your goal, and mm-hmm. uh, you would train closer to that. But on the race day, you will have those like endorphins, uh, adrenaline, and uh, also well-rested body. And your body, you kind of like trick it that it doesn't know that uh, you will be going for 26.2 <laughs> because you've never done it before, right? I'm not and telling then, you what we're going to do, yeah, but just, we know what's going to do. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are kind of like tricking your body, but also like it is, it has to be meticulously planned, like when and how you will execute it. Because for example, you cannot do like the most common uh, mistake of uh, many marathoners, like as well as professional uh, ones that they could burn like all the energy in the beginning in first 10K. But everyone says that the real race uh just starts at the last 10k okay (laughs) so yes it's actually like that is kind of like a big long warm-up and then last 10k that's an actual race why what happens there uh it's uh, the energy in the body switches to different ways and um anything unpredictable can happen like your body is very tired Mm -hmm. and um how you will handle it and what did you do before like is your fuel tank uh, full or is it already empty emptied because you use too much calories energy on your like previous miles uh are you fueling your body enough do you have enough water it's um if you will dig into it it's very complicated it is not as easy as it seems before and i definitely didn't know a lot (laughs) yeah it sounds uh, when you're describing it sounds more like a like a formula one car like these uh sort of daytona races 
um, where they are always switching out tires. They're monitoring everything, like the fuel. Um, I mean, in terms of how fast they're going, how fast they're taking the turns, uh, and all these different the type of oil that they're using in the engine. I mean, it sounds very similar to what you're you're describing here. So, what are you eating? Exactly. What are you eating during these races to keep you energized? What what's your uh, like your your marathon uh, food intake like? So I usually use uh, Iranian gels, like oh. energy gels. They are made specifically uh, like for runners or for like different kind of endurance athletes, like cyclists. It's um, so this is like a liquid gel with a like uh, mostly with a maltodextrin with a uh, like more complex form of, su- of sugar that will it will kind of like get you energy, but not as fast as the sh- pure sugar itself. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of like, usually you would take it like every 45 minutes. Uh, that's what I, I use. But there is right now, there are so many different other ways uh, of like different kind of nutrition, like liquid ones. Like for example, it's very uh, popular among um, uh, elite marathoners. Uh, it's called Morton. It's the fuel that used um, uh, I don't know if you heard uh, Kipchoge. He uh, holds the world marathon uh, record, and uh, he also uh, try. He he did break two hours marathon, uh, but supervised. Uh, <laughs> so it is not count like as official, but he just showed that um, human human body can do that. That's possible. So he do. ran like one one fifty eight something, which oh. is. 159 something yeah which is incredible and uh but in his way as you said about cars everything was meticulously calculated and the first attempt uh he failed for 16 seconds but second oh. attempt was uh was this year uh, earlier and uh, he um, he did it and uh it was it was like like a, you know like a new breakthrough in a running world are those and, gels uh, safe? Because uh, you're mentioning these gels for, and I've looked at them, I've seen them, I've tried them before. I can't, I don't really like them. I think it's disgusting. For me, I'd rather have whole foods. Uh, and I've, I've, I used to try whey protein as well, like creatine, uh, and I've stopped doing that. I've always gone through. I guess I'd be described as a, na- a natural uh, athlete sort of thing, uh, because I don't take any supplements. I just. I just finished trying BCAAs and L-carnitine for the first time, and I was like, I I don't really need to have these. But with these gels, I mean, what else is in these things? Are they pure, or is there what what should someone be looking for when they're looking at these gels to uh, if they're going to incorporate them in their their food intake? So basically, usually they have uh, like for example the ones that I take, they have some BCA uh, BCAA mm-hmm. because. Uh, while you're running, uh, you may lose your uh, muscle, mm-hmm. and you don't want to lose much muscle. You don't want like your body to be eating yourself. You need like energy um, not be used from like because it's um, your recovery process will be so much harder. So basically, just the sugary stuff. Uh, what you can do, like if you are uh, looking for natural energy. Uh, for running, uh, people can make their own uh, gels, like mixing honey with something, uh, which will be similar thing. It just uh, why people using gels instead of uh, whole foods. 
because while you are um, putting that much of a stress on your body, your digestion system doesn't work and your body cannot absorb that. So uh, you would either have like stomach issues, you will feel heavy or it will go one or another way from your body. So <laughs> it's just like your body, you will not be able to run with like real, uh, I don't know, bananas and which some people do, but also it depends how fast they're going. Like okay. for example, um, I cannot run on any solid food at all. So I run first thing in the morning and I do take gels just to have energy. And just recently I discovered that some of the protein bars that I can take and uh, my stomach tolerate them okay. But they are made from uh, like set, no, no more than seven natural ingredients, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, so basically the gel that I take, they don't have much besides the like sugary things and uh, um, and the BCA. So what's the sugar source for these gels? Like, where are they deriving it from? It's not aspartame, uh, it can, is it? No, no, it's real. It's it can be real sugar, just okay. sugar. It just uh, sugar, and just they do some. They add something so it will become not just like um, uh, just the pure sugar itself, but a little bit more complex formula. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't just because if you will take just sugar it will just go right away to your bloodstream and it will not last long and uh, it will just go to the like um, the extra will go to the fats you know but and, you'd be burning uh, that need... as you're running though it, like wouldn't you be bur burning your fats as well as you're running especially long distances so, so initially once you start running the first thing that the easier to break down is uh um, glycogen, mm -hmm. which stores in our blood and uh, in our muscles and in the liver. So, uh, and then like once you start, uh, so in order to get uh, fat deposits into the use at first, uh, you would need to get like enough oxygen to your body and it takes time to produce it. So um, you cannot like rely on pure uh, fats unless you're on keto okay you know then you're like your body knows how to use fat just itself just because you don't have any glyc glycogen stores at all but if you do have glycogen it will be taken first um, yeah so uh, and only like more fat would be used like later okay it is still using it just uh, less amount. So when you're um, training, are you following any sort of dietary uh, like restrictions or anything like that? Like, uh, how long does it take you to train for a marathon? And does the, does it, does your food change at all? Uh, I didn't do much of a change except of uh, lately I added uh, more carbs. Mm -hmm. So um, actually, I discovered that I need to eat like humongous amount of carbs in order to function well and uh, train well and feel better uh, because uh, I was under eating actually carbs uh, mm -hmm. which are very important for uh, especially distance runners uh, I'm not training for a marathon right now just because in the 
right now in our life, we don't have much of the races going on. And uh, I decided to focus on things that I'm not good at. And on shorter distances, like 5K, then 10K. And uh, I will do just my own time trials. <clears throat> and uh, But I still uh, have about same uh, uh, nutrition. Like uh, I just try to eat uh, whole foods. Like okay. uh, So basically... Um, I can tell you what I eat in in a day, so you'd have a. Uh, but you're not you're not following any sort of calorie restrictions because um like I follow a few people on Instagram and I noticed that here during this coronavirus lockdown that there was all of a sudden an explosion of health experts and I mean some of them were had been active before and they just finally took the time to be on Instagram um, but there's other guys like me who just started posting about it because like ah well this is what I'm doing this is what I eat this is what I'm doing for a workout today but it's like by no means am I qualified to be talking about any of this stuff I just do it sort of thing I on that note my Instagram is sorely out of date that that stops sometime in February and I do have to update uh, uh, that but um, are you uh, following any sort of actual restriction like i am training for this marathon therefore i will only consume this amount of calories up until that point no i don't have any restrictions and uh i usually don't do that yeah right. from time to time if i feel like i gained a little bit i may make cut off uh some but i'm not doing uh any rest like recently i added uh calorie calorie intake mm -hmm not uh, not restricted i'm just like uh more uh focusing on um con uh, on getting a good amount of um uh, uh carbohydrates uh and i have to eat them a lot and the uh, protein and fat i just know how much i i should heat and then uh, it's enough well, to be honest when i started eating more carbs I stopped feeling hungry and yeah. uh, I actually have a problem breaching that uh, calorie intake that I'm supposed to take. It is not like much of a goal of a calorie intake. It's just what I calculated based on the macros, right. which is okay. like how many carbs I should take and how many protein and fat and all together it makes this calorie intake. So what's your, uh, what is a day in eating uh, for you? So uh, usually I would uh, just uh, take some gels or this pro or this bar before my run, and then right after my run I would have a protein shake or smoothie with protein and uh, banana. Mm -hmm. So the point is to replenish um, with the carbohydrates, the glycogen storages that I used, and uh, to give my body protein so it will rebuild my muscles that a tear because like every time you use them they kind of like a little bit breaking down and um, then in, in about hour or two i have a proper breakfast which is about um two servings of um protein pancake mix okay and with uh, lots of blueberries and a little bit of sour cream then i will have uh, probably a lunch like two serving of some of whole grains like bulgur or buckwheat or uh, pasta with uh, or without meat with veggies mm -hmm. and uh, maybe some snacks during the day maybe apple some nuts and then in the evening i would have something similar to the lunch okay what time do you finish eating 
Do you have a cutoff time or that doesn't matter to you? I just try not to eat about three, two hours mm -hmm. before I go to sleep. So probably right. I stop eating around um, six and I try to go to bed around uh, eight something. Right on. Oh, wow. Eight yeah. something. You're okay. <laughs> so what time do you get, what time do you get up in the morning? Uh, right now, about 5.30, 5, 5.30, sometimes uh, earlier. Uh, I usually don't use an alarm. I just can wake up by myself. It just lately they change time and it's so dark. Oh, yeah, it doesn't yeah. make sense to me to wake up like at 4. But during summertime, I wake up like at 4. Right. I tried to get up at 5.30, but with this uh, recent, uh, the end of daylight savings time, I can't. It's It's just too... The, the shift from Beijing to like North American time, that one hour means that there are some things I can't get done at night before I'd have to be in bed uh, in order to get up at 5.30 Beijing time. Because Beijing doesn't do the daylight savings time. So we're, we're, our, our time is constant. Uh, and I also found that it's, I think six o'clock is just the earliest I want to get up that I can get up. I, but that's, I get up at that time alarm clock or no alarm clock i'm up six o'clock and i do um, I, I i don't go for runs i i used to run in the morning back in my younger days in my early 20s that has ended um i now do i just get up and i stretch so basically i get up i do i i have a bunch of hip stretches because i have hip problems right at this moment um probably because i wasn't stretching properly in my 20s and then i also roll i have this foam roller that i roll everything so that that sets me up for the day pretty much but yeah i'm not in bed until about 11 11 till 6 is my sleep time that's uh uh, people who get up some of the people i work with they get up at 4 30 or 5 o'clock and they're going for runs i'm like nope can't do it can't can't do it uh how long do you run in the morning for uh, what's the what's the duration uh it's different every day because i am following a training plan and training plan can change throughout the year depending on what distance i'm training uh for and what phase of the training i am at and uh, so it can be as little as uh, 45 50 minutes and uh, it can be as long as like two and a half hours uh, to 45 but in the morning be like not eating uh, you, you run for two and a half hours in the morning without eating yeah with gels <laughs> okay with gels and i make sure i drink i eat enough to like the day before right. and the week before uh, so if I'm fueling my body, I do have like all my storages full. Okay. That see, and yeah, you know what? Forty-five minutes, fifty minutes—that's not a. It sounds like a long time, but if you do that first thing in the morning, five thirty to six thirty, or even done by seven, then you still have that rest of the day, uh, which is what I appreciate about getting up early. Is that you know you you get up, you do those things, and then you're done with it, right? You can go on to the rest of your day, sort of thing. Ha but you run in the morning. Do you ever, what do they call the two a days? Do you ever go twice a day, if you're ever training for something? Um, I I this thing is kind of new to me. I did um, like a couple uh, tens of times, uh, not a lot. Um, during this summer, I had few. I have done a few times that, but it is not something that I know how to do it. Probably. Um, properly because of the nutrition i feel so heavy and uh, okay uh it's hard for me to run in the second part of the day so 
when I will be getting into it again, I need to figure out that nutrition thing. And uh, I would think the days that I would have to have a double runs, I would have to have like lighter food, like nothing heavy like meat. Um, though uh, I don't run first thing in the morning. I did uh, like in the very beginning, but right now before going for a run, I have a like about, I don't know, maybe hour, hour and a half my okay. morning routine. Okay. And then I go to for a run. So oh, uh, it's you, like it, you don't get elevated. you don't have the shoes by your bed. You put them on. You're just out the door running. Nope. Uh, yeah. So like a couple of years ago, I started uh, incorporating those uh, morning routines. I found out that it's so not useful getting to my phone first thing in the morning. Oh, it's terrible. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, I started uh, reading more books and then I learned uh, that all successful people do have a morning routine and I started incorporating that. So right now I have uh, meditation, journaling, reading and uh, mental training. Okay. So that's like what, 15 minutes each and then you sort of move on to the next or how do you, do you pace it at all? Do you time it or just as, as every day presents itself, you, you deal with it? It's kind of like uh, I do it by feel. I don't have a certain amount of time uh, for each, uh, but I probably should improve it somehow because uh, like my meditation, depending on the day, can be either five minutes or like, 20 minutes mm -hmm. and uh, reading can be also different journaling journaling doesn't take long usually it's more like five ten minutes uh, <laughs> i found yeah. that if i ever journal in the morning it's ah uh, i hate being up at this time i feel like shit uh what else should i write about well i still feel like i should make coffee so I stopped doing that because like these, unless there's something burning that needs to get out, which it, you know sometimes there are, and it helps clarify your mind. But uh, sadly, I don't, I don't sit down and journal as regularly as I, I used to during COVID lockdown. But that's because work has finally started up again. Um, but with your uh, with your morning routine, so what what sort of pushed you into this sort of change? So you wake up five thirty, fresh and bright. Uh, you start journaling. What are you reading at this time? I, I have to ask you. How do you? How can you read when you just woke up? I don't know. I feel uh, super energy in the morning. So I'm. I became. Well, I made myself a morning morning person. Oh, okay, right. And uh, it's kind of like right now, since I wake up not with the alarm, just by itself. Yeah. Uh, just biological clock. I feel the most amount of energy in the morning. And uh, I actually like, um, I like I kind of priming myself for a good day. Yeah. So yeah. I need to read something. Uh, so that's why I also like reading those motivational books because they set up my mind for success. And uh, then I will journal about my plans for the day and uh, will add some gratitude and maybe put on some dreams or something like that. Uh -huh. and uh, so you're not sitting down with good. a his you're not sitting down with like a, a history book of the history of the kivian rus or something like that you're, you're sitting down with you are a great person you will do well today remember focus keep the goal in mind <laughs> well uh kind of like that not literally but kind of yes yeah so, so 
But you're not reading about Genghis Khan cutting off people's heads, which, I mean, when I hear about people reading, I'm like, what? Do, how do people read? And I can't focus uh, unless it's like, I, I, the, one of the things I can do is I can scroll through Twitter only because it's mindless, right? Same with Instagram. You can go through, it's mindless. Facebook, mindless. But, I mean, to actually sit down and read something that you have to focus on, I've never been able to do that in the morning. I'm, I'm always too groggy. But it sounds like you have um, that you have a certain set of books or a certain type of book that you actually go to that you read, and then that gets you going to put your shoes on, to go run, to and then to follow yes. the rest of the routine. Um, so, was this who taught you this this morning routine business? Um, so initially, I read a book, probably. So uh, no, uh, I think uh, I went to a conference for fitness trainers and then uh, I happened to be on the speaking of one of the great um, American trainers uh, Todd Durkin which is who is also a motivational speaker and uh, he had like incredible amount of energy and he shared about this uh, that he wrote a book uh, the vow book and uh, I was like uh, I like this guy I kind of like interested to read his book what's in this book and it was kind of like a book with a 52 stories uh, that kind of like teach you something and give you some task to do and from that book I learned that it is better to use your morning time uh, in purpose because um, like first hour of your day what you spend on it's kind of like affects what you do throughout the day and how mm. your day goes and then he said like you gotta like read something or listen to the podcast and you have to journal and then I started doing that and then um, I started reading books and once I started reading books I discovered this miracle morning book and that was like literally uh, explaining all the morning routine which I started incorporating uh, and uh, right, right now it's like every other book's of uh, those successful people they say they do some kind of morning routine and which is pretty much similar in uh, in many people for right. many people okay so yeah yeah the uh my my morning routine during covid i liked it so much i didn't like going back to work but my morning routine was fantastic i would get up at like 5 30 six o'clock i do my stretches go for my walk come back i would sit down i do an hour of chinese uh, i actually before that i would make myself breakfast so i'd listen to chinese uh, i'd make myself breakfast sit down have my coffee do another hour of chinese and then only after that i would start doing any of the other things i needed to do but my studying chinese was my running i used to walk and run with Chinese but then I'm like now my brain's trying to go in too many directions at once I, I it's too much I have to so instead of meditating what I did instead is I just started cutting out certain things and I separated them um, so instead of trying to listen to Chinese at the same time as running or walking I'm like I'm not going to listen to anything while I'm walking and spend 15 minutes just in silence rather than trying to multitask all the time and I found that helped a lot too. That gave me, I just, I wasn't so, I wasn't anxious trying to always get something done. It's, uh, I don't know. Do you ever get that feeling that you always have to, that, the, that anxiety is like, I'm not doing anything. I have to do at least three or four things at once in order to feel productive. Yep. Yep. I just recently li uh, listened to the book called Essentialism, 
which kind of like pointed out that uh, whatever task uh, you are having right now at hand, you have to be completely like be present in whatever you're doing. That uh, multitasking, it's kind of like possible, but multi-focusing cannot be possible. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like you cannot uh, do like efficiently one thing so if you're like watching tv you should be watching tv and not like scrolling your phone or reading something along the head or checking some reports you know how yes. people do um so it's kind of like you have to have like so it is it makes total sense like walking in silence it's great do you do anything to boost your your mental ability uh like your mental like my big thing with uh focusing on nutrition was more that because of the morning routine i didn't want to drink i didn't want to take intake much more caffeine because when you take intake too much caffeine like you can't sleep well so the whole idea was like i want to start but i want to drink caffeine because i love coffee um but then I wanted to be able to sleep at a certain time, 11 o'clock, 10.30 p.m., and then rest per, like well, and then get up and do that again. So what I started doing is I started incorporating fish oil and coconut oil were the two things that I've added to my diet that I, I found, some people say they don't work, but I find that I'm just a little bit more, I don't have as much brain fog as I used to uh, when it comes to getting up earlier and I don't have to rely on coffee as, as much. I stay away from green tea. I tried green tea, the matcha powder, couldn't sleep. It ruined my sleeping schedule. Can't do it. Um, so do you do anything to sort of help you with that, that mental aspect? Not just, I mean, for running, but also on your, your day-to-day uh, uh, routine and business? Uh, I do take uh, caffeine in the morning in the form of a sports drink before my run. Okay. But this is a, a part of my routine because... Um, uh, it's some delicate uh, question that you need to empty your stomach before you go on a run. If you go on a two-hour right. run, uh, you got to be like ready for that. You don't want to uh, go crazy and look for stops. But yeah. this is like uh, <laughs> something that people do, like runners do. And uh, I didn't find uh, out any other way that worked for me. So okay. um, that's the only time probably that I take a lot of caffeine. Mm-hmm. And that would be early in the morning. Uh, but then throughout the day, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I love tea. Uh, so I can have tea like probably throughout the day if I want to, but it depends on the season and time. Uh, I just try to be co- more conscious not to take caffeine like after 2 p.m. Yeah, that's the cutoff. That seems to be the cutoff that's uh, yeah. promoted these days. And uh, yeah, I do take some supplements uh, like to help me with the sleep because I'm not a really good sleeper. It's a combination What's... of, I don't know, thinking too much and also like all the stress that I develop with the amount of training that I do. Right. So, What uh, supplements do you yeah. take? I do take uh, ZMA. This is like Z zinc, uh, magnesium, and mm-hmm. vitamin D. This is like one supplement. Then I read uh, and listened to one podcast. They said that um, glycine is a supplement that helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night if you have these hot flushes. So it's kind of like you wouldn't wake up because of that. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, that's kind of that. 
uh, that I tried. So it is not like every day I take both of them. I just regular TI how I feel. But usually it's, um, I feel good if I have consistently about seven and a half hours sleep, which is (laughs) not enough for me as a runner. But it is, I feel like if I sleep longer, then I would have a couple sleepless nights later. Yeah, I've found that, especially on weekends, if I don't have that, if I don't keep that routine of getting up early in the morning, I just go alarm clock free. If I sleep eight hours one day, all of a sudden I can't get to sleep that night and then it just compounds itself. I'm like, no, it's gotta, I gotta restrict myself to seven hours uh, on the upper end and then nothing less than six hours. I can still function on six hours and five hours, although I've noticed that I'm cranky. Although some people that know me might say that I'm cranky all the time, but uh, six hours, five hours, five hours is rough. Six hours is doable. Seven hours is uh, appropriate. Um, so you, with all of your running and we're talking about supplements and everything, I'm looking at uh, your emails that you sent me. You are a certified personal trainer. Um, what else have you done for, in terms of certification here? I see there's a few here. I've lost the page. Uh, but you have a supp- personal trainer, um, a running coach, and then there's a third one. And it's an NASM, uh, it's right? A, uh, so NASM, this is the uh, National Academy of Sports Medicine. This is the certification. Uh, like the, This is the kind of school that you get certification from. And uh, I got two certificates from this place that is a certified personal trainer and performance enhancement specialization. And um, for running coach, I have two certifications. It is uh, one is a Road Runners Club of America. And then another one is a Leader Foundation, which is like two different uh, just kind of schools. And uh, you could learn like different methods from different places and the way they train people how do they approach that so what would uh how did that uh sort of help you like what what did you what did you learn i mean is it worth it for anyone to take these courses or is it only for people who sort of want to do more what you're doing which is you've gotten more into coaching these days uh so uh it is beneficial for anyone who would learn would love to learn about better performance uh, who would love to be to understand more stuff about what they are doing to themselves? Um, so it is very educational. You would have more sense about like because so many people just out of blue do some kind of runs and then they got injured, <laughs> yeah. um, which is not very smart. But the easiest way would be just to follow some kind of training plan. But people also not very often do that. Uh, but the perfect thing would be, of course, having a coach. So uh, even though I am a coach, I do work with a coach as well, just because it is um, it is hard to coach yourself, um, not because of the lack of experience or it just um, you are not always fair to yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it's hard when you holding yourself accountable instead of someone else yeah. you feel to- more responsible if you have someone else watching you and also that person has alternative uh point of view like 
what you're supposed to do. Yeah, an objective point of view. Someone who can who right. when you're when you're feeling like garbage and you're going, I'm not making any progress, and they look at you, and go, Yes, you are. First of all, look at the numbers, and then second of all, you're here. You're still doing it, right? So you've you've still had all this progress that you might not be giving yourself credit for. I mean, especially with running. I mean, it disappears once you've done the run. It's gone. It's not like you know making a painting where you have this physical piece of paper there or uh, artwork that you can look at and go, "Yep, I've done it." But running, it's gone. It's done. It's ephemeral. It's gone. No more. Every day is a new run, and it's a it's a new uh, unless you keep track of your stopwatch timings. I'm uh, do you do you do that at all? Uh, I used to. I don't do anymore. Oh, okay, so there. Uh, yeah, there, I mean, you like you would. Uh, so uh, I I. So I have a tracking with my Garmin. This is a running watch, and it keeps uh, track of every my run. Uh, and I have all the record records of my runs. And uh, that is good to have. So if you are doing just uh, like for fun, not for training anything, you don't have to have a watch, right? Yeah. But if you are, if you want to get certain results, you must uh, report about your results. You must analyze your results and see what you're doing so you would track your progress otherwise how do you know if you're improving and how do you set goals and um, yeah uh, another thing like about having a coach is uh, like runners do stupid things that they think may, <laughs> okay. may be right but they are not and then it just um, uh, smarter to have a coach because uh, I, be, I was um, self-coached again this uh, fall for like months and a half or two and that was really tough even though I was like the most experienced at the time uh, comparing to when I started uh, like running by myself I was like I don't want to do that mm. it's just tough and then also like it comes to like um you have to delegate things. Otherwise it's like a big burden on you, like big responsibility. And also like, I have goals that I want to achieve. Uh, I probably could still do some effort by myself, but it's just so much easier when uh, you have, as you said, objective perspective of things you are doing and uh, someone has a smart plan for you. Because for example, right now, my coach gives me like uh, three weeks of like loading and then mm -hmm. one week down, and I wouldn't do that for myself. I would be like, okay, no, 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 no skipping. I'm just will be working. But it's then in be long six term weeks hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I could just hurt myself, you know. And then that wouldn't be uh, good. So, how often do you meet with your coach? I mean, is it just a Zoom call these days, or do you physically meet, or do you guys go for runs together, or how does that work? So there is a different uh, type of, of coaching and uh, the Ryan person coaching, but less with the COVID and stuff. Yeah. So there is like uh, before COVID, it was like you could do like one-on-one -on -one coaching, but that would be the most expensive one. But then it is like a group coaching, which would be very common, like running groups, people would meet with a the coach. They will tell what to do. They will run a uh, report. And then also he will be given like training plans online and then there is like online coach either in group or in person so i provide like one-on-one -on -one online coaching which is um i communicate through special uh platform for running coaching with my clients and i see their 
uh, reports and uh, data about from the Iranian watch, it syncs with to the program. And uh, if they need to communicate with me, it's usually sometimes they set up calls with me uh, or just messaging. Um, so I, I coach people only online. Uh, so, so the the conversations you have between you and your coach and you and your clients are they, are they similar or what would be the difference between those those calls? Uh, it just depending on uh, what clients I have and mm-hmm. what goals I have. Uh, so I coach people like with different goals. Some uh, people want to uh, just uh, I don't know learn how to run. Right. Uh, some people want to get faster on 5K. Some people are training for marathon, and uh, different people have different questions. So I would say that um, I don't have uh, as experienced runners as I am that I coach. So I coach people more of a beginner or like intermediate level. Right. For now. Um, so I guess I may have different kind of questions that my athletes would have to me, uh, so how, but I how, do still have some questions. So how does it work uh, if someone wants to get in touch with you with the uh, and, and wants to seek out your coaching? I mean, what are the what would you take them through? But what would sort of they expect? What would they have to expect? And what would you sort of start them off with? Um, so. Um, I'm not sure I really got the question. Can you say it again? Uh, so if someone contacts you, hey, hi, uh, Lyubov, I'm a new runner. I don't know how to run or I busted my knee and now I got to start running again. Uh, I want to start running again. What do I do? What's the process? How, got how, it. What can you help me do to get me running since you're in Colorado and I'm in, uh, I don't know, pick a place, Saudi Arabia? Uh, right. Uh so um, usually people who contact me, they do know that I work uh, online, that I provide online services because they do contact me via Instagram, mostly sometimes email oh. to my website. And um, so I would ask like what their goals, uh, I would like to see how committed they are, what do they want to achieve? And if it makes sense for me to help them, if I'm like, see myself as a qualified person is it my scope of practice to help them? Right. And then if everything in initial conversation um, works uh, and they uh, like, uh, they, they would be interested in working with me, then I would send them questionnaire with a set of questions like about their running background and which days works for them, what their goals and um, yeah, just their readiness for exercises. Do they have like any... Uh, issues with their um, health and then uh, they would have also like to sign waiver uh, this is something that we do here in US uh, and then uh, they will uh, I will give them instructions about how to set up their watch syncing with the, the program that I use I will send them invitation and then um, in about day probably depending on when they are ready to start, I would get their schedule ready. So first week would be probably more like getting to see, uh, to know each other, see how the person, like how um, they react to certain exercises um, and running. 
because I don't do also, I don't just provide running, but also like uh, fitness exercises because mm-hmm. uh, you would need to get stronger in different ways. Also like stretches and uh, warm up and cool down. Um, yeah, and uh, as we go later, it's like whether a person has any questions or do I have any questions to the person. And uh, later, like it's smooth, more smooth process. Right. So you, you've said no to people though. People have contacted you and you've been like, I, I don't think we're a good match. It's not going to work out. Uh, so far, I had only good matches. Okay. Uh, so I've been coaching people for a um, little bit less than two years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, everyone who contacted me, mostly uh, we either, I, got, I either started coaching them or they were not ready to invest in themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, because sometimes people reach out and they don't know what to expect and uh, how much it may cost or um, they don't know how much time they need to invest because it is also like not just money it is uh, time investment dedication it is work from both from me and from the athlete right i've (laughs) never in my adult life i've never worked with a coach but uh, i I spend an inordinate amount of time reading anything and everything I can about this stuff. Like even during the COVID lockdown, I, I took a couple of dietitian classes just because I'm like, I don't know. I mean, let's find out. Let's BCAAs, uh, all these different weight loss supplements, or like the how to fat burn, how your body burns fat and things like that. I mean, I would say that the amount of time I spend reading. Uh, these books and uh, articles, like science articles and stuff like that, um, about this, how your body works, it, most people wouldn't do that. And I fully appreciate that, you know, there are people like you who can coach and like translate all of this mumbo jumbo and not sound like, you know, oh, look at look at all these fancy words that I know. No, and you can actually communicate it in a way that people can understand and then take action on. Um, so have you read any... You said you're reading a lot of books. Have you ever read uh, a lot of audiobooks? Have you read any other sort of running books or any nutrition books that maybe other people could read that would be not specialist, but in terms of a bit more generalist that they could learn more about how just to run on their own? Uh, so um, I haven't read like specifically uh, books about running. I'm, I'm, I was reading books more about mental training, right? Okay, which included some of the or like running memoirs. Um, but there are certainly like uh, good books, like um, Jack Daniels. Uh, he's very famous uh, about like uh, like many people follow his principle about in running training. Mm-hmm. Though, and he explains in like more understandable terms. Um, about why certain things matter it just um yeah i wouldn't think it's super easy just to read that book right away and get everything in uh so um yeah i did read like just some articles and uh, i took those courses running related so those courses and, though did they have you reading specific materials or was it all based on the instructor uh sort of giving like instructor based materials uh, they, 
what were you reading part of the uh, as part of these courses basically or or learn what was the source of uh, learning so usually it is a course book Okay. Uh, and then uh, you like if you take in the course online, that would be like online lectures and some uh, quests uh, that you quizzes that you have to take. And then by the, by the end, you are supposed to pass an exam. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, like uh, for for running, I took in person course which was based on the course book and. Uh, uh, what instructor told us it was like a two-day sessions uh, and then uh, you look over book again and then you take a, an exam then the other course I took online just because it was already COVID so in summer it was like on zoom yeah uh, and it was uh, kind of like course book and going through material going through questions something like that um, as as uh, long as um, about nutrition, <clears throat> I am currently taking a course uh, about nutrition just to have a little bit more flexibility about giving a, a nutritional advice. But I haven't found like just books about like how to eat well or something. Uh, I read a book in... Uh, written in Russian, okay. though it is not much of a help here. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, what was I the book? In, in Russian, what uh, was the book? It's uh, one uh, famous uh, Ukrainian trainer, Anita Lutsenko, and uh, one uh, dietitian she worked with. Uh, they wrote a wow book or something. Okay. Wow, wow body book. Okay. And uh, that was like pretty simple for running uh, for Russian Ukrainian people to understand the basics uh, basics about uh, nutrition, um, but I have like I don't find um, very interesting just uh, reading those kind of books unless it's uh, like a course or something. Right. It just um, it's uh, something that doesn't come to me effortlessly. Right. Uh, so. I read more books about topics that I'm really interested in and uh, nutrition wise it's like in um, in US it's pretty strict about what you can what kind of advice you can do even though you are certified um, uh, nutrition specialist so uh, what are the restrictions then but like what what can you and can you not talk about so I cannot uh, tell a person about amount of calories they have to consume. I can just can give more of a, uh, I can educate probably somehow about what is uh, like carbohydrates, fats and proteins and all that stuff, but I cannot do like direct uh, recommendations about uh, amount of macronutrients they supposed to consume and uh, I cannot analyze their food intakes as well unless I am a registered uh, dietitian or um, nutritionist, but also like um, different state has different uh, regulations. Oh, so you can't even um, go cross-border uh, consultations, can you? Or it'd be difficult. 
So I didn't uh, dig into it much. I just know, like, for example, in California, it's like the most strict about who can provide that piece of advice. Um, uh, in like Texas, it's a little bit different. In Colorado, it's more easier, but also like people here are very, um, very selective about their scope of practice. So you don't want to like talk about what you're not specializing in. Right. And so I am more of a um, running coach. This is my uh, personal trainer. So I can sp- specialize in this and I can talk about that. But uh, I don't like I can do just general piece of advice about nutrition. Hmm. I I didn't realize it was so uh, segmented in the United States. I, I like I know the United States is a litigious society. I mean, they love suing everybody for anything that they can, but that they've cut this up that much. Uh, so does that mean like, when you? I guess it doesn't matter for international clients. I mean, if it's an international client, you can say whatever you, within reason, of course, say whatever you want. You don't have to follow the same norms. Or do you still have to, since you're based in the States, you still have to abide by those laws and regulations? Uh, I just try to be who I am and not go outside of my scope of practice just uh, just because I don't want to give uh, wrong piece of advice to person uh, because like for example in Ukraine you can take just like I took those courses you can just take course you can get certificate and then you can call yourself dietitian yes and people can come or cannot come to you that will be just their decision right but uh, here like here in US it's more strict and I mean it makes sense and uh, maybe also I don't like some parts about like I know some information that I cannot share, but yeah. Uh, what do you mean you would know can... information? Well, is that because like, it's like, I know what, when someone comes to you, but due to your training, due to your qualifications, like I, I need to, I want to ask how many calories you're consuming, but I can't because according to the laws and rules and regulations, I can't, even though it would probably solve a lot of issues if those words were just said, how much are you eating? What are you eating? I mean, let's just take down that number. Is is that sort of what you mean? Or is there something else where like Area 51 knowledge, aliens, you know something that people can't know about? It's kind of like I cannot tell a person like, uh, please uh, log all amount of food and I will go and analyze that. And then I will tell you what you're not doing right and uh, I will correct that for you. You know, or for example, okay. uh, you can uh, take like this supplement and this will reduce your blood pressure. Oh, I cannot yeah. give that kind of right. advice, you know, but I can say like, for example, uh, are you, hey, are you eating enough uh, amount of complex carbohydrates? Okay. You know, like general recommendation is this, and like, for example, this amount of carbohydrates towards your body mass. So it's kind of like I cannot calculate it for them, but they can calculate it for themselves. But I can also like give them a link to some sources that are legitimate and approved by um, some sources, you know. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, okay. So they can learn and make a judgment themselves. So I will not be responsible of. Uh, like recommending them something that is if something goes wrong you you can't get sued 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. probably that. So, for example, I have a, a athlete that did ask some kind of uh, my uh, uh, nutrition recommendation, and I gave her general uh, recommendations, and uh, she followed them. But right now, she's working with a, a nutritionist who like gives her like the table like what and how and then she just asked me like okay what do you think uh, like level of, of activity i do so like which of that plan would work for me the best and i'm like okay you are having like like this kind of load probably like that picture would work for you the best so you could follow and listen to your nutritionist because uh, that okay. person who specializes on that oh i see so they, they you have to work with someone who's certified as a nutritionist to talk about nutrition. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So I've, I mean, the whole spreadsheeting of your, of your food intake, it seems like the most natural thing to talk about anyway, because it's like, well, what are you eating? Uh, I mean, if you, because basically to drop weight, you have to be in a calorie deficit uh, of some sort. And one of, there's two ways to get into it. Either you eat less or you work out more. I mean, there's, it's basically those two that combination uh or if you if you did combine them it'd be a lot easier but um it sounds like <laughs> you know information i can tell you but i can't uh officially i can't tell you but that, that's good at least that you that you know that information um so if people want to get in touch with you how do they get in touch with you to find out more about your coaching and uh uh what you sort of offer as a, a running coach and not, not nutritionist Performance enhancement specialist, <laughs> running coach. Uh, so it is either my website or my Instagram. So the, the like Instagram usually it's the best way to communicate with me. But also like my website, it's there are form like the form that you could send and my email. Uh, some people contact me that way, uh, but mostly they just will reach out to me. Uh, um, via Instagram they would send me direct message hey I see that you are coaching like can you tell me more about your coaching and your style and what do you like ask of your athlete or something uh, I have two more questions uh, one you, you one of your blog posts was about cryo care to, uh, you, you took some sort of cryotherapy right cryotherapy right okay is this at all effective um i've heard some people talk about it uh then i hear people talk about you know using heat and doing heat uh therapy like going to a sauna my what's the difference between just taking a hot and cold shower and you know going into a sauna and doing cryotherapy or whatever so not, cryotherapy, not uh, so for example cryotherapy versus a cold shower it's um you wouldn't stay there more than three minutes like oh, okay. at all uh so it is sub-zero temper temperatures like super cold um it's like uh, i'm not sure what is in celsius it's like minus 121 minus 150 fahrenheit okay uh probably yeah. like it's super cold but it's kind of like not like to me i'd say it is not as stressful and painful <laughs> as you would go to into the cold shower Really, and also like um, <laughs> it just because it's dry, it's a different feel. It's oh, kind of okay. like that you are going outside in the winter, and you would stay a few minutes, it would be fine, huh. and then you will get warm again. 
um, it's kind of like takes all of the like bloodstream away from your like uh, muscles and then it's restarts it again and the people who tend to have like some injuries that might be helpful and also uh, like it speeds up recovery so because like each uh, each uh, workout it would be like a little stress but mm. also like when you train a lot you want to recover faster right so you would uh, train more efficiently so it's been shown some uh, good results and um, w when i did that i really found that um, i was faster feeling better like mm, so then i could train more efficiently and so it's right after going to the cryotherapy it will reduce time of um of soreness mm -hmm. because it, it's basically so, icing your uh, icing everything and you normally yeah you but, ice this onto any like sort of a, but this is like a shocking amount of that yeah and uh yeah also like uh, sauna is also like really helpful because it does kind of like the opposite thing but it also like increases the blood flow so everything fixes faster right so my second uh question uh and i'll, I'll let you go after this because i know it's come go, getting close to your bedtime um but you're smiling in so many of your pictures uh so if someone goes to you for your coaching are they going to end up like you smiling what there's, <laughs> there's a picture of you smiling in the snow you're smiling running uphill you're smiling in the middle of a run i mean uh, does this happen that you're just a happy person or do you just love running that much or what is how, why are you smiling at all your photos uh so i became a happy person here in us because people are smiling here it's uh, probably you noticed when you were back in ukraine that people are not very smiley there <laughs> no and they don't smiles. do this <laughs> they don't do the small talks but this is kind of like when i came to us it's kind of like made me a happier person mm -hmm. and i feel that smile it's like uh, it treats you it makes you happier you feel better and uh it's, I mean, people are um, people are liking you more if you are smiling and you feel good and you share that positivity. And I have also a client who told me that uh, she kind of hired me because uh, she loved uh, that I was smiling all the time <laughs> and that along with her personality. And she, by the way, from Canada. Okay. She lives in que somewhere in Quebec. And uh, she said that she's a happy person all the time, positive. And she saw me smiling and she said like, yeah, I have to be her coach, uh, which made me really happy to hear that. Well, because your smiles and your, your pictures are a stark mm -hmm. contrast to a lot of the other personal trainers that you see out there, um, like especially on Instagram. There's the guys like David Goggins who are serious and everything and, and they're swearing. And then there's the girls who don't say anything and they're just in basically yoga pants. But here you're smiling at the camera going, look at, I love it. I'm living my life and I'm loving it like this. Yeah. So actually I've been listening, I've been reading a book. Uh, train your mind for athletic success mm -hmm. and it was written by sports psychologist <clears throat> and uh, he talked about um, researches that uh, that do like on smiling like for example they did also like some experiment a person came to him with uh, before some uh, um, competition 
said about something negative or doubts and uh, this sports psychologist told him like smile and hold this smile for like uh, i don't know two minutes and then his mood has changed and his attitude has changed over the competition he was um taking a place in and then he did very well so it's kind of like even though you uh smile like doing this fake smile it sends your brain uh, those signals that kind of like oh you i'm probably happy and then your whole thinking is changing but also like when you do certain habits for a long like longer period of times you are creating more this how they call synaptic connections, mm-hmm. uh, neurotransmitters in your brain. And then it's kind of like something that you, it's your habit. And then it becomes your personality. And then the more positive you are, the happier you are. And that's all starts because I was a completely like negative person back in Ukraine. And I called myself, of course, I'm a realist, which was not true. All, re- all realists call themselves uh, all negative people call themselves oh, realists. <laughs> okay. uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, I also like but from this book that I uh, that I'm listening that I'm listening currently, The Grid. They said that multiple research uh, were done on pessimistic people and optimistic people, and optimistic people tend to live longer and less likely to have anxiety and depression. Right. Um, yeah. So. I'm a big smiler. Now, but are, are these pictures taken in the morning or are these pictures taken in, later in the day? You're not smiling at this at your 6.30 morning run, are you? I am because wow. I'm happy to run. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I can smile any time of the day, but of course, like I have different kind of emotions. It just I'm trying to change everything on positive whenever I can or when I experience bad emotions, I just, let them go and uh, I don't know journal and uh, watch something positive to get back my uh, positivity on track. All right. Because All right. Uh, when you get yeah. Go ahead. Uh, when you get what? Uh, uh, yeah. If you get into ne- negative cycle, you can get stuck, and then uh, it's hard to get back from yeah. that. So I'd rather not to get there. And that, that that can happen with uh, people who get injured as well. I've noticed that um, a lot of the uh, usually it's the young women who get injured here in China. They're like, oh, I can't. I'm, it's too hard. I'm oh, I hurt my name. I hurt my knee or something. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, if if I can't do this now, then I'll never be able to do it. I'm like, no, you got to find out. You got to think yourself beyond that injury. You got to think, yes, I can do this. I will be able to do it, and just figure out how to how to make it work, sort of thing. So. Lubov, thank you very much. Um, we've gone on for a couple hours now. It's been great. I've learned a lot about uh, uh, running and sort of the mental aspect of running a marathon. I don't, I, I don't know if you've convinced me to run a marathon just yet. Uh, maybe in time, uh, but uh, certainly I've, I've learned uh, a little bit more about how what it takes to uh, to do this. So I will put your contact information on the show notes uh, for this episode. Um, yeah, is there anything else that people should know before we uh, uh, get going? Uh, yeah, always look for a positive. Like every experience uh, in our life that we will learn from it. That's what I'm trying to convince myself. 
and uh, looks like that 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 works and it's so much easier to live that way all right well thank you very much again uh it's uh, been a pleasure talking to you and nice to meet you uh we will uh we will talk again and keep in touch all right thank you so much okay thank you bye 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 and that ends episode number uh, 19 of my podcast. Uh, so thank you very much for joining me today. I will put those uh, um, links on the show notes. You can take a look on my website, stephenserski.com. Uh, I thought it was a great conversation talking to someone who basically lives this life of uh, running now and has gone from uh, not running to running every day uh, or at least several times a week and uh, changing the way that she's able to uh, think about what she is going to do every day and in life. It was also very interesting to find out that she's from Ukraine. I I hadn't known that before we started talking, but I hope you guys enjoyed that. Thank you very much for joining me. We will talk again. Bye-bye.